in my 19 years of living before had I to introduce myself or think of myself as a South Asian African female from Mauritius. to another podcast episode of Talk of the Hill. I'm your co-host Nico. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Shuming, your other co-host, and I also use she, her pronouns. Today we are sitting down for a conversation with Disha Bisto, an alumna of University of New Brunswick, who is kind enough to share her journey unlocking her intersectional identity with us after she arrived in Canada and how this journey has helped her to fully integrate who she is with the needs of the world. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that the land in which we record Talk of the Hill podcasts is unsurrendered and unceded territories of the Mi'kmaq and Owosu'gwe'e nations. This territory is covered by the Treaties of Peace and Friendship of 1725 between the Owosu'gwe'e, Mi'kmaq, and Passamaquoddy nations. The treaties were meant to recognize the indigenous titles and rules for ongoing relationships between nations and not the surrendering of the land and its resources. Thank you, Shuming. Uh, welcome, Disha. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I am very excited to be here. And uh, first of all, I wanted to congratulate Hillary and the whole team here for having the vision and executing the plan of connecting all of our communities um, through the podcast. Well, about me, my name is Disha Bisto. Uh, I go by Disha and my pronouns are she, her. I am from a beautiful African island called the Mauritius or Lille Maurice um, for our French speakers. I was always motivated and passionate about problem solving, exploring and connecting with people. And to pursue those passions, I moved from Mauritius to Fredericton in 2014 to study engineering. So I lived in Fredericton from 2014 till 2021, where I completed my bachelor's in chemical engineering and a research-based master's in mechanical engineering. I consider Fredericton my home in Canada. Beyond my career, my personal development art in Fredericton was very steep. Um, This was through having meeting people, Um, who have different upbringings, perspectives, and personalities uh, through my success and failures, both in the academic and social areas. And most importantly, having taking the time and space to reflect on my experiences and understanding my evolving self. Thanks, Disha. And welcome again to our podcast. Uh, The next question that we have for you is how do you define identity? Uh, I define identity as parts of yourself or the life experiences that molded you into who you are and that you feel most connected to. Also realizing as we are shifting through different phases of our life, the focus on the various parts of our identity um, that we are or want to be connected to can change or will change. I think like with identity as well it's really important to be able to like self-identify like I think sometimes we allow outside factors to identify us um like we get labeled in certain ways or we um yeah just kind of get like identified as a certain person and I think it's important to 
identify ourselves because I I have found that that's really helpful for like my self-esteem and my like own confidence is to be like I can feel confident in my identity and not necessarily Mm -hmm. an identity that someone else gives us definitely I I agree with that and I think that's where most of my self-reflection came from is that to think about why you're comfortable with some parts of your identity and why you're not comfortable why sometimes you feel that you are abandoning um, some older parts of your identity or instead they might just not be in focus anymore because you're going through life changes and that is normal but we do not reflect on the fluidity of identity in that perspective and so that's something I reflect on. Yeah absolutely so kind of just going along with that how do you identify yourself? So I identify as a Mauritian and a New Brunswickian. Uh, Mauritius is a country that I'm from and Mauritius was built by displaced populations from around the world. And the way I perceive the world will always be influenced from growing up there and witnessing the difference between diversity and inclusivity on a daily basis. I also think major parts of my identity is being a daughter being a big sister and a friend. And I know there's always room for improvement in how I handle my relationships, but I'm trying. Um, I also think big parts of my identity is being an ambivert. Um, I can be around a lot of people and I enjoy meeting and connecting with a lot of people, but my battery can run out very fast and I want to leave a young engineer in training who wants to improve on being an equity-focused leader. I think it's interesting that you talk about areas or just locations as part of your largest identity. I find that with me when just kind of relating to what you're talking about, I moved around a lot when I was younger. So I lived in Japan, I lived in Toronto, uh, Philadelphia, and then Haddonfield, which is a city in New Jersey, and then ultimately Montreal and Fredericton. And I find that moving around so much for me Like, I always try to identify myself to the location, but ultimately, I felt like I was always feeling a sense of um, isolation and feeling lost within my own identity. So it's, it's interesting how I think that me identifying with different locations was a way for, or kind of, I lost myself in a way where I was attaching myself too much to different places that I used to live. And so again, like tying into what you and Nico were talking about in the beginning, finally like thinking about yourself in an internal way and trying to identify yourself through other identifiers. So the other things you were talking about, like your relationships with people, um, personality, how you relate to people and your energy that you have with other people. um, It is really interesting. to think about and the different dynamics that people have too, right? I've moved, I just moved from like PEI to Fredericton when I came to university, but now like this week in therapy, I was talking about this, but like the way I feel about Prince Edward Island now is very different because Fredericton is so much more my home. Like I identify with this community this is like where my life is and so even though I I still think of PEI as my home and like my childhood home is there and that's where my parents still live like there's lots of nostalgia there for me 
it's not necessarily like the community that I identify with anymore because Mm -hmm. this is where I feel very myself and like where my community is now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, Moving geographically, it's a, it's a big difference, right? Because there are some expectations, I think, that you are able to think of for yourself as to how you're, you're, you will grow when you're moving from one place to the other, depending of maybe you're going from middle school and then you will be going to high school or um, if you know things about the area in general that you want to connect to, maybe they have a bigger art scene that you know you will connect to more. Um, but there's definitely some things that we do not think about as to, for example, the outsider's perspective as to, which is what happened to me, um, as to thinking about the questions uh, that might come my way that will make me wonder why didn't I think about that part before and why is it such a big component for this other person in trying to understand me? Why does it have to be? And I think that's something um, that a lot of us go through, but uh, we don't talk about as much because it, it can be internal, at least for me it was. I feel like my relation to different places that I lived in, it was more of a sense of pride because like the, I would identify to places that I used to live in. So like when I moved from um, Haddonfield to Montreal, I was so attached to the identity that I had in Haddonfield, which was something that I couldn't really get back anymore because I was already in a different location. So we're just talking about how we relate uh, places that we've lived and how that relates to our own identity. And from our conversation that we've had prior to this podcast, uh, Disha, you talked about unlocking your identity, moving from Mauritius to Canada. And can you tell us a little bit about that experience and would you consider the shift or transition more as culture shock? Um, so moving from Mauritius to Canada was a dream come true for my teenage self. And I will always be very grateful to my parents who nurtured my ambitions and made sure I was able to make it here. So for me, when I got on a plane in 2014, I was a confident high school kid who graduated high school kid who was super excited to figure out what it meant to be independent. Um, So in terms of my identity, I was looking forward to what will be now added to who I am, for example, being an engineering student. And as an international student, I definitely expected, and I was actually really looking forward to sharing my culture, being a Martian. What I didn't really think about is the parts of my identity that are existing, but they were in the back. And that's why I talk about unlocked identity rather than new identity. So as I was growing up in Mauritius, I was aware of my South Asian or Indian heritage. Um, Growing up on an island with people who, like me, understand that our heritage is part of our identity, but we also understand that it does not define our whole lived experience. So when I moved to Canada after encountering situations where I could see people being confused um, when I introduced myself as a Mauritian. Um, That's when I started reflecting more on my identity. 
I even had conversations where people would tell me how I should be identifying rather than letting me be the narrator of my identity um, or letting me share the parts of my identity that I am aligned with. So while these questions, I will guess most of the time come from a place of curiosity, um, but to quote another fellow Mauritian that I heard before, sometimes it felt like it was disowning the existence of the history and the culture and the people who built up what Mauritius is today. And that includes me as well. So I talk primarily about that part of my unlocked identity when I moved to New Brunswick, because never in my 19 years of living before had I to introduce myself or think of myself as a South Asian African female from Mauritius. I started being a youth female in engineering as well, and that came with its own layers of uh, obstacles. But it's not only after the seven years of when I now finally feel secure in what I have achieved here that I am now able to say out loud and admit to myself that the shift at the time was a form of culture shock. And can you tell us a bit more about how avoiding the concept of culture shock like affects you or affected you at that time? I think at the time, the experience was uncomfortable, um, but it was a very internal process. And I think maybe um, all of us here can identify with this idea of uh, having to get through what you go through to be able to be successful. Um, and uh, because it was an internal process, it led to self-reflection growth. And like Shuming mentioned before, um, it did lead to isolation, but in the end, it did brought me to the concept of unlocked identities as a productive way to describe and handle the discomfort in understanding ourselves um, when going through major life changes. Um, and this is in no way um, meant to encourage anyone to avoid talking about culture shock. It was just how I was able to handle it uh, at the time. And I'm curious, Nico and Xiuming, how about you both? Um, how did you handle culture shock? For me, like, it's really hard to say culture shock because I'm from the Maritimes. Like, going from PEI to New Brunswick is not anywhere near the experience of, like, international students or even people who have moved from, like, further in Canada. The only, like, real... I don't know, life change that I felt at that time, like moving to Fredericton was, I'm from like an incredibly small community um, right. on PEI where everyone, you know, knows each other. Everyone knows each other's business and space and families. And that can be, you know, incredibly beneficial and wonderful. And it can also be really difficult and really hard to you know, develop change and to self-reflect and to figure out who you are. Um, and I think after high school, like, I just wanted to be somewhere that I could start fresh, like where no one knew me and where no one had assumptions about me or my family. Like, my father was my high school principal. And so <laughs> I had a lot of people like making assumptions about who I was or what my family life was like. Um, and I think that was really 
the biggest change for me, like coming here was just like the ability to form relationships with people and say like, this is who I am. And they are just like, okay, that's great. And like, they don't have these like perceived notions of what I should or shouldn't be. I have two stories, not stories, but just um, examples of culture shock. So I would go to China fairly often before COVID had happened. And every time I would go there, even though it was just a year apart from the last time I'd went, um, I would always experience some form of culture shock. Just the way of life that uh, people in China have is something so drastic than what we see in um, in Canada. So just adjusting to how the streets look like, how people interact with each other, how people comment on my weight when they don't really do that in Canada. It's always something that you have to remind yourself thinking like, oh, I'm in a different country and it's okay for these things to happen. And I should normalize stuff like that um, in the sense where like, of course, it's not okay to talk about people's weights, right, in Canada, but it's just something that is a cultural thing in China, I find. Sometimes it's not worth the energy to be talking about that because it's it's the whole culture that needs changing. Like, obviously, we know now how toxic it is to be talking about stuff like that in Canada, but um, yeah, so... That's that's a very minute scale within conversational pieces. But when I when I moved around a lot uh, when in my childhood, I find that the biggest challenge I had was adjusting to how people acted there and just understanding the environment, understanding what their unique culture was. But even though it was just like a couple hour drive away from, let's say, from Philadelphia to Toronto, there's always such like a type of cultural shift, right? So. I think just trying to change your mind and change the way you think so that it adapts to how people think in another location was one of the biggest challenges that I had. But with that, it's also made me become more of an adaptable person to the experiences that I have to face. And even on a smaller scale of just adapting to new roles that I'll also gain. I think just the skill of, again, overall adaptation has been really prominent throughout uh, the different kinds of culture shock that I've been through. That is definitely such a good point. I think it's almost like a superpower, right? That you know that you will be able to see the perspective that people are doing or seeing things from um, without trying to jump the gun and judge at first sight or first word what is being said or what's being done mm -hmm. um i think for me um dealing with culture shock like i said in the beginning um i i really try to handle it by myself um but over time what i realize is uh, when i formed healthy relationships with friends and freddie um, where i was able to be vulnerable and i realized that uh, maybe it would have been easier if I shared it with someone that I trust. I learned that one of my closest friends was going through something similar and we did not talk about it even though we were living together for like two years already and it was not until our third year of living together that we got to each other's shells and uh, talked, it, talked it out and it, it felt 
like good to know there's someone else relating to you. I think that is like a common concept that I'm hearing is relatability and not being able to relate to people. That's what helps us understand and become more adaptable or not. So sometimes I wonder if uh, when I was going through those hard feelings, um, if I shared it with a friend, um, maybe would be able to um, understand what we're feeling, um, what each other's feeling, instead of trying to just protect ourselves and be scared of sharing feelings. And maybe as a team, we would have been able to navigate situations and be a good support system to each other from earlier on. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because Hayden Richardson, our previous podcast uh, guest speaker, they had sent me a post on Instagram yesterday. And the quote says, shame dies when stories are told in safe places. And this was something that Anne Voskamp uh, had said. And I feel like that quote really encompasses what you just talked about. I feel like once we start sharing our stories and start realizing that other people have gone through the same thing and then start relating to people on that kind of level, it's just, it's very freeing to to someone who's struggling in that field, right? In that situation that they're going through. So the concept of culture shock can also really like unconsciously encourage people to lean into conformity. Um, so people coming from outside of Fredericton often feel the need to kind of conform to this like identity of a university student, of a Canadian, of a Fredericktonian. Um, and I know like we talked about how you kind of avoided the concept of culture shock internally. Um, so maybe, you know, you kind of avoided conformity or maybe you felt a certain way about conformity. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So when joining um, Fredericton for university as an outsider, I definitely could see different parts of uh, friend groups or organizations that uh, shared the same uh, past experiences or beliefs or values that uh, made me feel that it, that could act as a barrier for me to connect. So at that point, I did realize that I might have to conform um, in order to feel like I belong. And uh, having a quite strong sense of self at the time, I actually, for the first two years of my university, I did not really connect meaningfully with people because I was afraid of having to conform to feel accepted. A huge part of conformity on our campus is these like student groups, like whether that's clubs and societies, whether that's student unions, whether that's residence life, the, it's it's been like there. I have different experiences with conformity, but a big thing that like stands out to me was like trying to make sure I'm setting an example that we don't need to all be the same and like we don't need to perpetuate conformity. Like, for example, when I was hired as the student union orientation chair, a big piece of that is that the student union is seen often as like a very similar group of people a very similar group of student leaders who always have the same values the same interests like all of those things are often assumed and so I think we need to whether it's you know in student leader capacity or just as a student in general to be aware of having 
different voices, different values, different people around the table, just because I think that helps with conformity. Like, I think if we can see people of different backgrounds, of different representations, like that whole different values, then there's less of a need to conform because everyone can just be themselves. If you are choosing to conform, like make sure it's what your heart is telling you, like it's something that you actually want and not something that's an external pressure. And there's like layers of conformity. Like I think it can kind of fall into small behaviors, but like it can also fall into like social values and how you identify as a person. So it's, it's kind of like a, you know, hierarchy of things. Like I think there can be small conformities and large conformities and depending what they are, you know, take over more of your personality or your identity. And it's, yeah, I think assuming you're on the right track of like, it's just important that you're doing what feels right to you. Like it's not necessarily good or bad to adapt your behavior as long as you're, you feel confident and happy and content with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. That took the words right out of my mouth right there. (laughs) Like just talking about the layers, like it's like it starts with physical appearance and then behavior and then, Mm -hmm. you know, all the other things that you talk about. So definitely thinking about the different factors that can come into play and external factors and internal factors both. Yeah. So kind of bringing it back to Disha, we're talking a lot about conformity and it's, of course, a really complicated concept. Um, And we want to make sure people are being true to themselves. Um. But we know that there's pieces of conformity that are internal and that are external. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about that and how we should address these different forms of conformity? There are different pieces of conformity that are internal and external. And what I have identified here might just be like subsets of what a lot of other people have identified or um, there are things that I didn't go through and I have not thought about but in terms of internal conformity when I think about that concept I think about when we struggle with feeling with the feeling of belonging or being accepted by the majority group or majority behavior in a way Um, internally when we're thinking about ourselves and our talents and we don't give ourselves the credit of what we bring to the table as individuals or professional um, our own unconscious biases and uh, our need or want which is very human to be successful in both our personal and professional areas which could push us to conform to a majority Um, And in terms of uh, when I think of external sources of conformity, I think of what influences people to conform. And in that area, I think about lack of representation in groups. For example, on campus when I arrived, when I looked at the leading bodies at UNB that I wanted to be part of, Um, to be in positions of leaderships and just meet people, for example, at the time, like the student union or the proctors or clubs and societies. Um, As an international student, I didn't see myself represented in those organizations. So I found it harder um, than like counterparts or peers of mine um, 
to put myself out there and uh, try for a position because I was afraid um, that if I don't conform with the, their values or beliefs, um, I will not be accepted. Um, other external factors I think about, so again, the systems um, in the way that they are built that promote only diversity but not inclusivity. Um, pressure that we get from groups of friends or people around us to accept specific beliefs or behaviors as the right one without constructive or productive conversations about what about those things make each of us feel good or bad. Um, and external factors also, I think is connected is feeling excluded because you have different interests, which could make you conform and do things that you actually don't like. There's a difference definitely between trying out something and feeling like, okay, you like this and maybe this is something you want to continue. And there's a difference between having to do something to feel like you belong. I just want to address that. And so when we talk about how we can address them, that's where the, there has to be the difference between being uncomfortable and growing so I think we all need to make peace with the fact that when we are growing, um, there's going to be discomfort. So at our own pace, um, we should be able to bring us outside of our comfort zone and engage meaningfully in conversation. Um, there is growth in meeting and talking with people who have different lived experiences and trying to understand where they're coming from, especially that is successful when we're able to focus uh, on empathy when we're having conversations. But uh, I think the danger of conforming comes when we are not able to be aware of our identities. So if we're able to be aware of uh, the identities that we unlock as we move through the different phases of our lives, um, I believe the strength in understanding our identity and our presence is very important because it gives us the power to fight against people, organizations, or even to help us understand ourselves uh, when we feel the urge to conform, instead of uh, taking the time and patience with ourselves to carve our own space and seek support when we need it. I think the last part that you just said was very, very powerful. The part that sat with me, like, of of what you just said, Disha, is the uncomfortableness of growth is something we talked a lot about with Hayden and Kayan. And I think discomfort is a huge part of this, like, university age and, and being a student and learning who you are. Like, there's so much discomfort within figuring out your identity. And it is really important to let yourself feel the discomfort. Like, I think we're often really drawn to kind of like run from it or hide it or push it down and although like everyone will have different paces and different ideas of what discomfort is like leaning into that discomfort a little bit can be really helpful just to kind of elaborate on that I think it's just really easy for people to lean on external support it's when you start digging deep into yourself and your thought process and just really understanding why you think the way you do is something that people are often scared about. And I think that doing that reflective thinking, like Nico said, is really important so that you don't give in when you are uncomfortable or 
you don't give in to different pressures just because you need to conform to people. It's something that you, again, like the theme that we have been talking about, it's doing something because you want to, to pursue um, and achieve and fulfill your authentic self so that you can become and grow into the person that you want to be. So obviously, Dicha, you you felt a little bit like you focused on your academic success um, in your first couple of years because of that fear of failure to conform. So what was the pivotal moment that caused you to pursue more leadership opportunities? In my first two years, I kept mostly to myself. Um, I tried to connect with the, my peers um, within the engineering department. Um, and focus on school and it was not until my third year at university that uh, I looked into pursuing more leadership opportunities. Um, At that time I was going through pretty intense mental health uh, challenges Um, and usually when I'm going through obstacles I do tend to be by myself and self-reflect so through self-reflection I had the opportunity to think about my identity back home when I used to thrive or in general like in my life when I used to thrive and enjoy myself and the moments that came to my mind were working in teams with friends or classmates and enjoying conversations and having random fights over the colors of poster boards we're going to use and being successful together, helping each other and being successful individually as well. So as I reflected through my past, I also reflected as to my present, um, why this part of my identity was not coming through in Fredericton. So while I still found it hard to see representation or feel invited in the spaces that I wanted to join, I decided to try and carve the space out for myself and bring representation to where I thought it was lacking and to try and help others not feel like that. So um, in, I think, 2016, um, September in that semester, I went a little bit overboard, but that is the time that helped me get through and be where I am today. Um, In September 2016, I ran for the position of vice president on the UNB International Student Association, and I won through votes and I got to be on the executive team. Uh, I, at the time also, I was really pushing to try and get a job in my field. So I was going to the Career Development Center a lot to get my resume reviewed. And I, I finally got a job as a junior energy analyst. It was connected to engineering. So I was very excited about that too. And so once I was involved with the, the International Students Association, I was able to bring forward parts of my identity that I felt connected to, as well as meet with other awesome individuals and understand their goals and motivations and just have a good time in understanding and celebrating each other for who we are and pushing each other to grow. I think at the time I didn't realize what it was, but the, my team at the International Student Association, they became my safe space. And I, now I realize that. 
Um, I also lucked out with my supervisor at the first job that I got as a junior energy analyst and the coworkers. They really instilled confidence in my technical abilities, which at the time was hard to find within my academic department. Um, and from these two positions, um, my personal and professional network really expanded and opened lots of doors for me in terms of growth opportunities. Um, for example, like I was able to be a master of ceremony for a few different events where we were championing talented international students. I was able to complete work in my field and uh, that really gave me confidence and it made me feel like I am bringing something to the table and just bring back that confidence that I didn't feel in the first two years. Throughout everything that you've said, I found that I also related pretty heavily to this. So before I'm in well, I graduated from Renaissance College and I found that in high school, I was very, very different from who I am right now. So before I was never involved in any leadership positions, I only got involved in clubs and societies within my last year of high school, admittingly just for the resume, just to kind of become someone that um, I wanted to be there basically. But then once I got to Renaissance College, they really champion and foster a very safe space for people to start learning more about themselves, start discovering their own voice. And I feel like the safe space that you're talking about with the International Students Association, as well as with your job um, as your junior energy analyst, just having that space to grow and make mistakes and learn from those mistakes is super important so that you can start building up your, uh, your experiences, getting more positions, uh, obtaining more leadership positions in that matter and just overall expanding your skills your again like you said <laughs> with networking and stuff too so can heavily relate to that for sure in the last question we see the theme of the podcast about unlocking your identity and using it to your advantage what have you done with this newfound knowledge and confidence that you have built from the reflections you have done over the past few years so throughout my journey um, in Fredericton, as I worked on reclaiming my power by self-reflecting on and acknowledging my unlocked identities, I think I was able to bring myself closer to the leader that I want to be and also the person I want to be in a personal and professional space. So with this newfound um, confidence in myself and aligning myself with uh, what I want to do in the world, um, last year, I was uh, able to create a foundation called Written Support ECRI SB Foundation with the support of numerous people in my life that I'm grateful for. So uh, the foundation is trying to help uh, with improving our literacy rates. Um, right now, we're still refining on our vision and our goals, but the idea was to create a safe space online where people who are not as comfortable in their uh, literacy skills, mainly writing, um, where they can find support through us. Deja, can you just tell me a little bit more about like how you started this foundation and why it's important to you? I think it's just like a really interesting passion of yours. And I'd love to hear more about how your identity kind of fell into starting this foundation. Definitely. Um, this foundation is a product of a few different 
um, events that I've experienced in my life. I think uh, when I was growing up back home or even here, the way I have seen maybe treatment of uh, students who might not have the same academic abilities. And uh, this may have had a lot of underlying reasons that I don't think is cared for by organizations that are actually giving out um, grades, let's say, to students. So through this foundation, one of the things I wanted to address is the unequal access to academic support or literacy support um, by offering, as a start, um, a service where we're able to do peer review work through a, a pool of our volunteers who um, are open to review written work, so essays or even resumes in English or French. That is uh, definitely one part of it. And in general, as a mission of the foundation, we want to support in improving the literacy rate um, around the world. And uh, for me personally, I want to give back. I want to contribute to to the world in a meaningful way and education as i've learned from my parents and what they've done for me has been a great uh, booster of my progress um, in both personal and professional pathways and uh, for any reason if not having literacy support is uh, holding someone back from having those experiences um, I want to have a chance um, to help them if possible. And I just kind of want to tie it back into unlocking your identity. I think through this conversation, we've talked about, you know, pushing yourself through discomfort and finding what's authentic to you is, is really important to figuring out your own identity, especially as we've discussed, like when you're moving around places, when you're in a new social group. Um, is there anything else that you think um, help to you find your own identity, like any other tips you might have for new students or people that are trying to, you know, find a new space in a social group that you think would help them unlock their identity? I definitely believe that self-reflection is a very, very powerful tool. It works and it worked for me. And that is where I was able to develop the idea of unlocking identities as my way, uh, my coping mechanism, and to finally becoming adaptable to the different places I was moving and achieve the goals that I have set and I'm setting for the future. So I would definitely, I would definitely advise everyone to take time in uh, understanding themselves and thinking about the maybe three uh, primary or five primary parts of the identity that comes out as the strongest for them or the ones that they feel most connected to and why and also how does that place them in the system that they are in right now um, also reflect about things that don't make them as comfortable if they are within a specific area or organization or within a group of people in relation to their identity and why and how can they address that and as a tool for growth for themselves as well as people around them and improving systems around them i think that's what like focusing on self-reflection and understanding different parts of your identity unlocked identities can help all of us
together. When we're really aware of our strengths and our place in the world, not only, yeah, does it help us find success, but it helps us connect with others and find the people that we can really, you know, support and really understand. And I think that can only be beneficial for, for everyone. We talked a lot about just the methods to kind of unlock your identity, but we've never, we haven't really touched on the question of if someone's scared to even start discovering things about themselves, like what is something that you would tell those people? We can be our worst critic. Um, I'm sure that has been said or, and like it, it can be a common phrase that is thrown around, but it is very true. Within the area and the place or the surrounding that you are in, trying to understand yourself is a big task and we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that we are all a work in progress. And we're always going to be a work in progress. That is the whole point of having to unlock your identities as you move through life. So I would say for yourself, you would want to be patient with yourself and uh, to make the process easier if uh, you have trusted friends or family members, parents, siblings, or a mentor, anyone, I would encourage to engage in meaningful conversations. Also engage in conversations with people that you can disagree with, but in a safe space. If you do not feel safe, you should be able to remove yourself from from the situation. Um, Step by step, move outside your comfort zone and go to maybe networking events or if you're at university to just events and uh, um, in classes and whatnot reach out and just have chats with people I think while having conversation with people and understanding people's motivations and goals there is a lot to unpack about ourselves and within ourselves as to when we think about how we are connecting with the what uh, the person in front of us is saying um you can learn a lot about yourself too um i want to just say thank you so much Jisha, for your time and all of your thoughtful answers it's been really interesting to hear you chat about everything and we will have the all the information for Jisha's organization in the description of the podcast episode so anyone who wants to check it out uh, you'll be able to find the link there um, and we'd love to hear from you any of the listeners about how you felt this conversation maybe changed your perspective on your own identity or how it's helped you um, figure out what kind of identities you should be unlocking. So you can send us a message on Instagram at ISAOUND. Um, and we just want to say thank you so much for listening and thank you so much, Disha, for all of your time. Mm-hmm.